called refuge. I have asked this every week. Do you consider your, yourself a person of refuge? Do you consider yourself a person of safety, peace, a safe place, a place of grace? If Christ is your Savior and you said maybe or no, we're going to change that. Not because I have the authority to, but because Jesus does. And he said, your refuge. Is he a refuge in the storm? Is he our ever-present hope in, in a time of refuge? Yes. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You are refuge. Now, we're going to learn a little bit more about how to be a refuge today as we have every week. I have been in this series, this is the fourth week now, and I have found myself because I've been in the Word of God so much. And if you get in the Word of God enough, it'll change you. It will change you. Just like you being very hungry on a long day, have a, a meal that goes into you, or maybe after a, a time of prayer and fasting, when that food hits you, you feel it, don't you? <laughs> that hits you and you're weak and your mind's not working well right, that it hits you and you, you're, the, the blood starts pumping in your body. Everything physically starts happening. It's the same thing with the eternal word of God. You just start moving. Everything starts happening. You know, I don't know how it all works in there, but I'm going to tell you when the word of God hits you, it does the same thing. It just starts moving in your heart and mind and all of those areas. So God is making us a place of refuge, people of refuge, marriage of refuge, homes of refuge. Amen. All right, we're open to the book of Joshua. I'm going to have to show you a picture. We're going to Joshua 20, but I'm going to show you a picture to set this up. All right, the people of Israel have left Egypt. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. It's the way it works. All the tribes are allotted their groups, their land. Judah's big, they get lots of land. Dan's small, they get a little bit of land. There's, but the Levites, that tribe has no land. They're going to be dispersed through 48 cities all over Israel. God wants his people all over the place. North, south, east, and west, he's going to have his people. And then specifically in those 48 cities, he wants six special cities called cities of refuge. Because he's going to produce a culture of grace and a culture that has a high value for human life. It's going to be a human life is going to be sacred because it was not in Egypt and it is not in this land they're going to with the Ammonites, the, the Philistines, the Jebusites, all those people. But he's going to create a people who have a desire, an overwhelming desire for the sanctity of human life. So he said, this is what you're going to do. These Levites are going to have six special cities, cities of refuge. There's going to be three on the west of the Jordan and three on the east of the Jordan. Now, last week, we talked about the three on the west, on the left or the west of the Jordan. Moses picked those right before he died. He doesn't get to go in the promised land immediately. We find him in the promised land in the New Testament at the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus is transfigured. That earthly vessel couldn't hardly hold it anymore. And poor Peter and them look up, and Moses is on one side, and Elijah's on the other, and they're talking with Jesus. So Moses does go to the promised land. But so Moses picked the first, the first three. Moses is going to die. This is, I'm setting this up for Joshua 20. Joshua takes the people of, of Israel into the promised land, and he's responsible for the other three cities. These cities of refuge are cities when someone kills someone accidentally, when someone kills, uh, 
in any way that's accidental, they didn't do it premeditated, they may flee to one of these cities for salvation. Because in this culture, it's not like our culture. This is a culture of goalism, which means you kill my brother, I'm the avenger of blood. I'm coming after you, and I'm going to settle the score, whether they deserved it or not. We have to think Eastern culture a long time ago, not Western culture now. We talked about that when we started the series. So here we are in Joshua 21 through 6. Y'all got it? Ready to go? You got notes there? There's some on the back wall if you need them. All right, Joshua 20, verse 1. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. That's that goalism. And when he flees from one, and when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him in to the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. That if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hands because he struck his neighbor unintentionally, but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is the high priest in those days. We talked about the high priest a couple of weeks ago. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled after the death of the high priest. Let's get into this and look at this. Let's learn something new from the word of God. Just like that fresh new food, I'll eat leftovers if I have to, but oh, that fresh meal that's piping hot, the gumbo just got perfect, the rice is ready, it's all ready to go, that's the word of God every time we open it, amen? Every time, is it alive and active? Every time we open it. So let's look at this. Verse one, the Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, wait a minute, he already spoke to Moses. In fact, three times he spoke to Moses about the cities of refuge. The first time is pre-Ten Commandments. He goes up on the mountain, the Shekinah glory comes down, everyone's freaking out, he's with her with the Lord, and there's just, in Deuteronomy 4, there's just this little statement that says, I'm going to show you about refuge. I'm going to talk to you about when someone kills someone unintentionally. So he already talked to Moses once. Then he talks to him again in detail. Then again, three times. Look, if you tell Moses three times, you know it's getting written down three times, right? It's already, it's, it's eternal. It's in the word of God. Then why in the world would the Lord start this chapter with, he spoke to Joshua also. This is why. There is a great and faithful God who is faithful to every generation. And Psalms 33 says, in fact, he puts his heart in every generation. Some are big generations, some may be a little smaller, but his heart is in every generation. Joshua could not lead and could not go forward on the word of Moses alone. He had to hear from God. Amen? You have to hear from God. God wants to speak to you. He wants to communicate to you. And we need to understand this as people of refuge. I'm so glad I grew up in a God-fearing home 
I thank God for it every day of my life. The word of God was, was heard often in my years as a child. But I'm going to tell you why I'm standing here is because he spoke to me also. Is that in your Bible? Also. Oh, that's an important word. Number one in your notes. God wants to guide you on how to build a place of refuge. Put it in all caps. Y-O-U. You. He spoke to Moses. Praise God he did. Very clearly. But Joshua had to know what God wanted him to do and his generation to do. Moses was gone. He was, he was with the Lord. God wants to guide you on how to build a place of refuge. I love that God specifically spoke to Joshua, specifically gave him confidence, encouragement, and direction to go in his life. It wasn't just on the written word of Moses. Although it was God, when God spoke to Moses, it was God. But Joshua needed to hear it for his own life. And so do we get to hear it for our own life. All right. Let me show you a couple examples in the Bible here. King David in Psalms 31. Psalms 31, 1 through 3. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to hear me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock and refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead who? Me. And guide who? Me. He's not even talking about Israel right now. I need your guidance. I need an also in my life right now. This is what's beautiful about this. It is a picture of grace. He says, for your name's sake, Lord, I need you to lead me and guide me. I may not have done everything right. I may have messed some things up, but because you're holy and righteous and faithful, for your name's sake, Lord, lead and guide me. I, that puts us all together with David, doesn't it? That's a good company to be with. I like, yeah, I'd like to have David on my favorites list on my phone. I like that. But that is the old covenant. You and I have a better one. Not because I'm saying it. I don't have enough authority to say it. Let's look at John 16, 13. I'm just echoing what Jesus said. John 16, 13. Did I say that right the first time? John chapter 16, 13. Listen to our words of the Lord. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will what? Guide who? You. Into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Oh, that's good. He's going to lead and guide me and you. It's been said mankind can live without ever it, it's been said mankind can live with just about anything except for purpose except for a direction in life. So, we have the word of God. He we know he's making us a refuge and we will never be like this young lady in this short video here. Hmm, God, a 
wonder which way I ought to go. Very well. Very cool. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you, but, but I just wanted to ask you which way I ought to go. Well, that depends. And when? Do you want to get to... Oh, it really doesn't matter. As long as I... Then it really doesn't matter which way you go. That simple. Where do you want to go? Where it really doesn't matter. Then it doesn't matter which way you go. That is never us in life. Ever, ever us in life. It wasn't, it wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua. It wasn't David. That's not what Jesus said. And that's not, and I'm going to believe what he said about me. Amen? You're going to believe what he said about us. Let me give you a little church update. I talked briefly last week about um, an opportunity that had come up, and I just want to update you guys. So last week, I, um, a church building came for sale. It was All Cities Church, and we put a bid in, uh, some other, another church bid, and uh, I think a daycare or some other ones. Long story short is we gave a fair market bid, but they did not accept our bid, and they didn't give us a chance to, uh, um, to counter. It was a very quick thing. The realtor said they'd never seen anything done quite so quick. So long story short is they're under contract with another church. So the only way we would get that building is by the hand of the Lord if the contract fell through in a few weeks or whatever. And it's a possibility, highly unlikely. But through this two-week process, I learned a lot of wonderful things, and I want to share them with you. Number one is that our overseers of this church were highly, highly helpful and super committed to our success and our growth. They were committed spiritually. They were committed um, with business help and uh, direction, and they were committed financially. They jumped on board and said, we're going to help you. We're going to help you. Just like that. It's like, wow. So I learned how our overseers were so committed to helping us go forward and have direction and be led by the Lord, just like God's doing with Joshua. And I also learned that so are you too. And I know we have several members missing, but many of you reached out to me um, for financial, for what can I do, how can we help, that was a huge encouragement and blessing. And as that happened all week, I began to realize, wow, we're a lot closer to moving forward in a building than I had been thinking. And this is what I learned. I realized thinking, okay, when we fill this building up, then I'll start working. That was incorrect. What I am going to do over the next 12 to 18 months is pursue, because I haven't been pursuing hard, is pursuing because we're financially ready, because we're spiritually ready to go forward to pursue land and building a building. And more details will come as I get them. But I'm going to go forward in pursuing that because, frankly, it would be a lot easier to grow this church in another location. This is not a great location. This is um, not where we want to be long term. And there's just a lot of, and, and we don't own this. We're renting this. There's zero equity in this. And y'all, y'all own homes. I do too. You know how it works. So what I want to tell you is the Lord has really made it clear to me over the last two weeks, and it was disappointing. I was like, I thought we, this may, would happen, and it was disappointing. But standing here today, I'm saying the Lord has made it clear, go forward. Start pursuing and moving in this, and God will take care of the rest. Amen? So God's given me some direction. The overseers have given me some go-ahead to start pursuing land and uh, the building of a building if we have to. Uh, It would have to be a perfect match to buy and renovate. 
So we are, we're specific. All right. Let's get back to the Word of God here. Verse 4. Joshua 20, verse 4. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them. And when he flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate and declares his case in the what? In the hearing of the elders. Now see this picture, people. An exhausted man or family, a man who accidentally killed someone. And the Bible gives an example. Two guys go to the woods. They're chopping wood. One guy had a loose axe handle. It flies off and hits the guy in the head. He drops dead. So he's got a family and a couple of kids. So he don't want to leave them. He runs, grabs him, and takes off to the, to the city of refuge, which was no more than a day's journey. Every single city had to be within a day's journey, maximum of 30 miles. He comes into that city exhausted, frazzled, unannounced, right? Unannounced. They don't know he's coming. He comes in there, and after you just ran a marathon, do you think you can communicate well? <laughs> Most of you say, no, I'd be in a coma. <laughs> I will be in that group also. Now, I'd, I'd have passed out about halfway through. <laughs> now, listen to this. He comes into that city in a bad state in life, a difficult time. But God has appointed people. God has appointed maturity, seasoned people, full of grace, ready at a moment's notice, be ready in season and out of season, the Bible says, to be there for that person. It was their responsibility before the living God, those elders of those cities, those Levites of those six cities of refuge. They had to be there ready for that man, ready for those exhausted children and that wife or whoever the group was. And they had to be willing to listen when he didn't communicate well. Number two on your notes. People of refuge, listen to the pains of others. They listen to the pains of others. According to a study done of more than 500 families, the following top traits for successful families was this. Number one and number two, communication and listening. 500 families the number one trait for success. So this is a family, like a family group, right? That's what this was. Communication and listening. Let me tell you how I know you're doing good at this. On uh, Mondays, I go back and I listen to my sermon. I cannot tell you the last time I did not say something wrong in a sermon. Not like Jesus isn't God. It, okay, it wasn't heresy. But I always, to my oh, chagrin, say something incorrect. Last week, I meant to say Egypt and the Philistines. I said Israel and. I was like, oh. There's always just some little thing I say wrong. Y'all are like, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> but you've actually come back more than once. You know what that is? That's refuge. 
I can't tell you how many times. I'm not going there anymore. They said something wrong. He did say that. That's not refuge. You live as people of grace. You understand that people are going to make mistakes. I do it all the time. Listen, I, I lead by example. I get up here and make mistakes publicly. So you can go out and look, ah, he does it all the time. I guess I can too. Do you understand the culture of refuge? When someone makes a mistake, when they say something wrong, the elders didn't turn around and say, yeah, I don't even know what you're saying. Get out of here. No. They're gracious refuge. And that exhausted person comes in and can't even pronounce it right or say it right. You got to give them water just to get them to talk. And they say, here, we're listening to you. What is going on in your life? That is Jesus. Come on. That is a culture of life. People of refuge listen to the pain of others. Thank you for being a place of refuge even for me. I don't get bad emails from you. I never get any. I get good ones. And I saw those stories. I get great emails. Now, if I make a mistake, you can tell me. I usually catch them on Monday. I'm also married, so, you know. <laughs> I'm so, that wasn't the Lord. Oh, help, oh, help me. Oh, my God, man. That was not in my notes, babe. I did not write that. <laughs> Let me tell you a story I heard a few weeks ago. man went to a coffee shop with a sign. This sign said, free coffee to hear my story. He set the sign on his table right where the door opened. People came in and out all day, all day, coming in and out, coming in and out. Guess how many people got free coffee to listen to the man's story? Zero. Next day, he comes back in with a different sign. It says, free coffee to tell your story. He wasn't sitting there very long before the first person sat down. As soon as that person got up, another one came. In fact, before the end of the day, he had a little line going. They had to wait. Why? Because they listened. They cared. They were a place and a culture, culture of refuge. Wherever you go, you can be refuge for people. You can be that Jesus figure. Amen? All right. Let's keep looking here. We're still in verse 4. His case in the hearing of the elders of that city, so they've heard it all, all the good, bad, and the ugly, and the mess. And once they've heard the mess, what do they do? They shall take him into the city and for life-changing, powerful words. What does that say there? As one of them. Hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into that city. Is that what it says? As one of them. And give him a place. Now look, you've got to lose a room in your house. Or share a room. I got two, two sisters, two daughters. And they're learning how to share a room. They've been battling out for two years already trying to figure this thing out. That's a beautiful picture right there. That is self-sacrificing. That is straight Jesus stuff. You're going to take them in like they were a Levite, like they were an Israelite. You're going to take them in. Did they have to be an Israelite? 
No. The Bible clearly says if it's a journey, a sojourner, or a foreigner, it doesn't matter. Now remember, even those were considered unclean. What's the city? A Levitical city. The sacrificing priestly cities. And they, that unclean comes into the blood and it gets clean. This is gospel stuff right here. As one of them. Number three on your notes. Adoption is the attitude of refuge. Adoption is the attitude. It is the heart of the living God. Oh, as one of them. The Bible talks about this over and over again. Let's just look at a couple scriptures in the New Testament. Romans 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. They didn't push you outside of the city. They didn't say, I don't have time for this. But you received the spirit of what? Oh, yes. Adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, our Daddy God, as one of them. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. I am loving this adoption thing. Come on, this is central to our faith. This is central to the understanding of Christianity. One more. Galatians 4. 4 through 7. I'm going to get there. It's coming. Where is it? Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Jesus Christ. But, oh, I did the end, didn't I? Here we go. Verse 4. 4-4. Four, four. But when the fullness of time had come, God, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the what? Adoption as sons and daughters. Man, I'm really glad I did that grace thing before I messed that scripture up. Whoo, that was good. <laughs> Y'all understand the point. Adoption is the attitude of refuge. This is what Romans 8.23 says. This is what Romans 9.4 says. This is what Ephesians 1.5 says over and over and over as one of them. There is no reason for any Christian to deal with rejection their whole life. There is no reason for any Christian. We all have down times and rough times, but there is no reason for any Christian to deal with fear and rejection because Jesus Christ the Son of the living God, very God Himself, step forward. There is no greater authority than His. And when you come under the blood, He says adoption as one of them. And that sets you free. Amen? That is the message of the gospel. That is the culture of refuge. That's what we are learning. That's what we are becoming. That's what God has destined us to be. 
Oh, come on. Listen to heaven cheering. Oh, listen to him now that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Throw off that sin that so easily entangles you and be the refuge. Run. Be the person God has called you to be. He's cheering you on and heaven is too. I love it. I mean, I would, I would get discouraged if it weren't for adoption. I would stay in the, in the in frustration or anger or whatever if it wasn't for adoption screaming out to me, I'm his and he is mine. Amen? It'll fix about anything in your life. All right. One last point here, back in Joshua. Verse 6. So the guy or his family gets there. They get him all situated, get him cleaned up and fixed, care for his physical needs, care for his emotional needs, care for his spiritual needs. All of those three are in the Bible and in this text. Physical, emotional, and spiritual. So the guy gets it all. He has a place now, kind of finds a job, figures out life, and Man, he misses home. Guys, he just... All of a sudden, he gets word. The high priest has died. Why does this matter? One, because it's a picture of Christ above all. But secondly, because the high priest, as I said a couple weeks ago, was the highest spiritual figure in all the land. Uh, remember, this is before kings. The, uh, we have a different system here. So when the high priest dies, this, this mediator between them and God, the whole country stops. It was such a huge event in the mind and heart of these people. Everything else just didn't matter. It's like when I get to that cross and I throw myself at it. Everything I lived before, poof, small potatoes, right? Because I've come under the blood. So this high priest dies, such a huge event. He gets forgiven. He can now leave the city and go back home. Maybe he's been there for five years, maybe 20. The high priest position was a lifelong position. They never retired when they died. That was it. So he's been there all this time, and he's packing up. He's finally getting to go home to be with his family, back to his own land. He didn't forfeit his land, all those things. Look at verse 6. And he shall dwell in the city until he stands before the congregation of, for judgment and until the death of the, high, of the one who is high priest in those days. When the slay, then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city for which he fled. Now, when you go to a location, whether it be for a day or dinner, or a week, or 20 years. You're going to come back home or back to your normal life with experiences, either very good or very bad, or somewhere in the middle, right? So when this guy gets back to his tribe, he's going to walk in and they're going to say, hey, how was it over there? For the last 10 years, 20 years. He's not going to say, I don't worry about it. Maybe if he's a guy after a long day of work, he'll just say good and then walk away. But his wife will say, let me 
tell you about this place. About this place of refuge. About these people of God. About sacrifices. About these people who at our worst came in and were like Jehovah himself and picked us up. Right? Oh, they're going to talk. Even if that whole tribe never even meets all those people in the city of refuge, they're going to know about it. Right? Oh, yes, they are. Number four on your notes. Our actions create a witness, good or bad, for Christ. This is why we have to understand that the way we live our life, God can use it for greater things than you ever imagined. There will be people you never meet who are affected by you serving Jesus and serving others. You may never meet their family. You just help them. I appreciate when people help me. But you help my wife or my kids. Y'all understand. You see, someone was refuge for someone I loved. Now now the picture of refuge, oh, becomes so big, so beautiful, so glorious. I want to show you this in the New Testament with our Savior, John 4. It's a very long story. Let me set it up before we read a little bit of John 4. Jesus is headed through Samaria. It's a half-breed town. They're not full Jews. It's kind of a mess spiritually. They got to worship different. They have a different temple. They worship differently, all this. He gets to the well, and there's a woman there. She says, hey, can he looks at her and says, can I have something to drink? She goes, whoa, whoa. I know those clothes and that accent. You're a Jew. You ain't even supposed to be talking to me. I'm dirt. All I hear is bad things about the way the Jews think about us Samaritans. He goes, oh, if you knew who I was, you would ask for living water, and I would give it to you. He looks at her, and then it gets real personal. Where's your husband? Well, I don't have a... Indeed, you don't have a husband. You've been married five times, and the one you're with is not your husband. Now think about the way Jesus would have to talk to someone as we read these next verses, as I kind of set up a little bit of that story. John four twenty six. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and him, after the conversation about who's the Messiah and how to worship, where is he going to be, when's he going to come? You're looking at him. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city. She didn't live there. It's like a little place of refuge. In fact, it was water. In a desert, like an oasis or refuge. She said, verse 29, Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Now let's jump to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of who? The lady who had experienced 
refuge. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know what was going on. All they knew is that person was a mess and she came back and something happened to her. She had encountered the living God. She, they saw that's a mess. There's no refuge there. She comes back with refuge dripping all over her. And they say, you've encountered something divine. Amen? That is the power of refuge. That's what Jesus did. To speak so openly about all her messes and all her mistakes, but it was so gracious. It was so pure. He didn't deny justice or truth. He clearly went straight to the truth. He didn't throw truth to the side. He said, this is the truth of the matter. This is the sin of the matter. Let's deal with it. And refuge poured all over her, and she ran back into the city saying, Refuge, refuge, I found it. And it changed her, and people were saved, and then they came out looking for Jesus, and many more were saved, the Bible says. That's the power of refuge. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up for our last story. Y'all look at this picture right here. This old guy. Just want to show you a random picture of an old man. I'm joking. I got a reason. The very end of World War II, Hitler is pushed into a corner. He knows he's going to lose. The Allied army is at the doorsteps of Germany. Hitler, in a last-ditch effort, throws everything he can, including children, 17, actually younger than that, 16, 17, 18, into uniforms and throws them out there to the battle-hardened Allied army. One such young man, it's a German name, Jurgen Moltmann was one of them. Scared, not understanding why he was even doing it, but wearing a Nazi uniform with a gun in his hand, came to a group of Allied soldiers. The Allied soldiers had pictures of the concentration camps. At seeing the pictures, he immediately surrendered. He was barely 18 years old, just a kid. The war was over, and he finds himself in a POW camp in Scotland. They took more pictures and posted them all over the barracks. And the reality of what he had been involved in came into his heart and mind. He writes and says, I helped murderers continue murdering and gave Hitler a few more months to live. In total depression about his life and future, at now the ripe old age of 18 and a half, a chaplain gave him a Bible. He was bored, nothing to do. He began to read it. It was in those cold barracks that he gave his life to the Lord. He said, I did not find God, God found me. Two years into it, 1947, 
He's been a POW. He's now 20 years of age before his 21st birthday. He's allowed to go to a youth camp with a bunch of Dutch and Scandinavian Christians. He had given his life to the Lord, but lived in fear of who he was and what he had done. Surprisingly, they did not reject him and call him a murderer. They embraced him and loved him for Christ's sake. Now, you may not know this name. This is him many, many years later. In fact, he's still alive. He's 92 years old. He didn't understand refuge. He had never seen it demonstrated. He is considered one of the greatest theologians of Europe. His works have held the church in a crumbling and decaying society. With socialism, communism, Islam pushing on every side, his work has held the church together. An ex-Nazi soldier who found Jesus the great refuge and people who would demonstrate it. Amen? You need to see the power of refuge years through your life. Who those teenagers probably were. They're young. It was a youth conference to move in Jargon. Maltman's life was so powerful. Let me show you another picture and a quote. Whatever can stand before the face of the crucified Christ is true Christian theology. cannot stand there must disappear. Sorry, it was clear and I sent it. Pixelated. This is him. I want to show you this next picture. This is profound. This is some of his top writings. The crucified God. The cross, the cross of Christ as the foundation and criticism of Christian theology. Go to the very end of where it says addition. Um, yeah, additions. How many? Squint if you need to. Nineteen. Look, if you get a book edited once and get a second revision, you're doing really good as a writer. Nineteen. His next one is greatest work. The Theology of Hope. Huh, I wonder where he got that at. Twelve editions. That's not all his books. That's just some of them. Oh, Refuge refuge. Come on. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your past is. When you, met G when you meet Jesus Christ, he changes you. I don't care if you're a teenager who don't know much. You can influence some of the greatest minds who ever lived, especially in the 20th century. This man. Come on, let's come to Jesus. We've got a few more minutes. Come on, let's come to him. Let's come to the city of refuge whose builder and maker is God. Let's come to the blood of Jesus. Oh, I love it. seen yourself as refuge and you have been speaking negatively yes, about yourself I 
that's negative about the work of Jesus Christ in your life. If you've given your life to Jesus, you repent and you say, I'm refuge because he said I was and I will not be contrary to the king of the universe. I'm a child of God. Yes, I Come on. It doesn't matter if you're young, middle-aged, or old. He will use you in profound ways. There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. also amen so you ask and you receive you don't speak anything contrary you're justified by the words of your mouth on amen so we're gonna speak and think and talk refuge because that's his language that's what he who he's made us and we're not gonna speak anything contrary to him well let's come together Lord I thank you that as we desire to be refuge you will show us how great of a refuge you are. Peace that we've never experienced. Adoption revelation like we've never comprehended. I thank you, Lord, that as we 
do this, you are going to show us how great of a refuge you are. Oh, yes, God. Thank you so much. We're asking that you would increase it in our life, in our mind, in our homes, Lord. Lord, with the way we talk, Lord, with our faith, increase our faith, Lord. It's what the disciples prayed. We thank you, God, that you have called us to be refuge. And we want it. We so desire to be like you. So thank you, God, that you're doing this work. Thank you, God, that, there's, that you are bringing peace in our lives as we desire to be a refuge and learn about the refuge you are, a wonderful Savior, Jesus, a wonderful Savior. And before we close, with heads bowed and eyes, eyes closed, if you're here and all this seems so foreign, like I don't, I don't experience, I've never experienced Jesus as my Savior, as this refuge, as this ever-present help in time of trouble. You can change that right now. Jesus said, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you, and you've never given your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Is there anyone like that? Anyone like that? All right, let's all raise our hand and just come to him. Oh, what a wonderful surrender. Oh, Lord, we give you everything, joyously, gladly. Oh, God, we just lay our lives at your feet. Oh, Lord, to live in you is, the, is joy overflowing. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in these individual lives. Lord, when they leave today, refuge is going to be whispered by the Holy Spirit. The word of God that we've just digested, we've taken in, is going to start producing a wonderful harvest, strengthening us physically, spiritually, emotionally, God. Oh, I thank you. It's going to change the way we talk and think, Lord. Thank you, God. You are truly making us as an individual and us corporately a refuge for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, the name above all names we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Come on, praise him. It's his house. It's all about him. All right. Have a great day. God bless you.